We're back. Week 12. This is the Trial Run Podcast. Thank you for that water bottle right in the opening segment. That's very good. Very, very good. Lots of moving parts in the sports world today and all throughout the week, really. Lots of things going on. We got Tiger. We got NBA playoffs. We have the NFL draft. All of these things coming up. But I'd first like to say and acknowledge that this is our second to last podcast for the entire year and for the entire season until the next school year starts. I can't believe we're already this far into it. It's really bittersweet if you think about it. You know, it's terrible because we only have two left, but the fans have come out in droves. That's the sweet part. We've we've cleared, guys, we've cleared 420 followers or 420 listens this past week. So that's all to you guys, the fans. Shout out to you. It's a huge accomplishment. You already know. So I'm I'm not excited to see this go, but it's been a smashing success. Oh well, yes, okay, that's of course very good. So let, let's <laughs> let's start with let's start with the golf that happened over the weekend. In case you didn't know, golf was played over the last or the past weekend, and there was some guy named Eldrick Woods that won the Masters, the biggest tournament in all of golf. Did, Ti- he, did he ever? Tiger's dub, Tiger's win. Where does it rank in all of Tiger's wins? And do you think this was the best individual comeback by a professional athlete in the history of mankind? Wow, that's that's a lot to break down there. Let's see. It's not Tiger's best win of all time. It was a very good win. It, It maybe is, like Tiger himself said in the interview, it's the hardest he's had to work for a win and the most surprising, but it wasn't his most dominant performance ever. Clearly, he almost... Blew it there at the, on the last on the last hole on 18. He felt Brooks Kepka breathing down his neck. He really did, but nonetheless, it was very impressive. And then, as for best individual comeback of all time, I think it is. I think maybe not from a team aspect, but from one person coming back from whatever, it, it ranks right up there. I mean, you have like you have the Paul Georges of the world. That's one that's up there, but. I don't I don't see maybe Peyton Manning could be in that conversation. I think Tiger's the best to do it. It's tough because we're all prisoners of the moment. Everybody wants to believe that whatever's happening right now is the greatest the greatest of that thing to ever happen in the world. So of course everybody's going to say that this is the greatest comeback of all time and I would almost tend to agree with them just because it's been so long and we've never seen a comeback spread out over such a time period. This is 10 years in the making. It's been it's been since 2008 that he won his last Masters, I believe. And now he has won a Masters or just a major in three decades, the 90s, the 2000s, and now the 2010s, which is just incredibly impressive. Where does it rank in Tiger's wins? I don't know. It's, it has to be high up there because for him, as far as personal emotions and feelings go, that has to be probably the best feeling win for him, although he certainly had more dominant wins over the course of his career as he's been one of the most decorated and successful golfers of all time. It's his first Masters since 2006. It's his first major period since 2008. 2008 yeah. That's insane. Like, if you think about that, that that is the best comeback. Like, he went from from shooting up meth, basically. I don't know what drugs was, he was doing. It was, it was, <laughs> in his relax, car. relax. <laughs> it, it was opiates or it was something prescribed to him. It's not meth. This, and, let's, let's dial it back. And, you know, freaking every woman he saw that wasn't his wife, he, he went from doing that to... And that's fine. He went from doing that to taking off of his, you know, bald, shining-headed hat and and putting on the green jacket and saying, yeah, baby, when he did it. So that that's really the comeback of the century right there. And another topic that I want to get into over this, and I heard this on another media outlet just a couple days ago, 
Fake news. Yeah, fake news. Colin Cowherd, you're fake news. I heard this. I heard him talking about this. Why is everybody rooting for Tiger? Because I understand that he's the greatest golfer to ever, to ever do it. He's very popular with the fans, but why? Considering the choices that he's made, the people he's affected, he's really sh- not shown that much love to his fans over the years. He's just kind of a guy that was there. He was dominant. He made multiple bad choices consecutively, and now all of a sudden he's here, and everybody in America was rooting for him to win this Masters. Ten years removed from his last, or ten years removed from his last major, rather. So I just want to know why? Why is everybody so caught up in this Tiger movement? Because he's not the greatest person in the world. Let's put it that way. I think it's because Tiger is kind of the antithesis of like your typical, you know model athlete I think people can relate to him a lot more a lot of people have done some stupid things in their lives I'm not saying that everyone you know has been found drugged in a car and then also cheated on their wives a million times but he's relatable in the sense that he's he's had some bad parts of his life he's had to overcome struggles and now he's where everyone wants to be after you know falling short he's right back up on top I think everyone can relate to that on some level, and they just want to see him succeed. He's certainly the second chance story, but I don't think necessarily that he's the common man because when you think about it, the common man does not go from the most successful athlete in your sport in the world. They don't go from being the most successful to right at the bottom with multiple bad choices that they that they made themselves. So it's not like I don't think it's common for somebody to be way at the top and then all of a sudden fall to the very bottom because I think that's a little bit more rare than you'd think. I'm not saying he's the common man. I'm just saying I think people like to see their athletes not just, you know, be this perfect emblem of, you know, great. Like, it's nice to see, you you know, your straight-A model wonder kid, but the reality is that's not how life works. That's not how people are. And I think people can see that a lot more with Tiger. It's kind of the Steph Curry complex when you think about it because when you think about people who dislike guys like Stephen Curry who have done nothing wrong in their lives and kind of just show up and they're the perfect like choir boy, face of the leagues, things like that, a lot of people can't relate to that. So I completely understand where you're coming from in that aspect. I'm just saying that it's tough for me to believe that people think of Tiger Woods as relatable when he's been one of the most successful athletes of all time and has also made some terrible choices that no human being should make. No, yeah, he's definitely made some questionable choices that people are willing to sweep under the rug, but that's neither here nor there. So I was hoping to use that little Stephen Curry reference as a segue into our next segment. Very nice. That is perfectly executed, if you ask me. The NBA playoffs have begun, and I'd just like to start off with a little monologue here about my Detroit Pistons. Blake Griffin, please don't come back in this series because they're not gonna, you guys aren't going to win. You're going to get swept. I don't want you to get any more hurt than you already are. Please just let the four-game series conclude. Let the Pistons lose. They can go into next season with a healthy Blake Griffin and hopefully make a little bit more of a run than they did this year because they've kind of run into a buzzsaw against the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo. He is a grown man amongst boys in that series right now. You're not going to Game 6, Nate. I'm sorry to break it to you. No, for all of those who I told last week, I did buy Game 6 tickets. I was fully anticipating potentially being able to go to Little Caesars Arena, watch Game 6, but I knew pretty much two minutes into that Game 1 when they were down 15-2 to two or whatever it was that I am not going to see that game. The Pistons won't make it to Game 5, let alone Game 6. Are they going to make it to Game 4? 
I mean, the way the way it, that they're going, they might just forfeit. If they, yeah, if they continue to play the way that they have, obviously they're gonna get swept. So, Pistons down 2-0, no surprise. Like I said, do you even bother bringing Blake Griffin back? Because I personally don't. But what's your take on that? That's the question. If he is healthy, I don't. Do you bring? It's almost that question. It's like a moral question. Like, is it? Do you have? Do you have an obligation to the fans to bring him back and you know at least put up a front and pretend that you're trying to win the series with Blake, or do you just say nope, we're folding in the towel? It it just seems weird to fold in the towel when you're already in the playoffs. It I don't know. Personally, I th- I think that if he's healthy, if he's ready to go, if he's free from injury, yes, you have to put him back in the lineup. But if there's any question, any doubt in your mind, then sit him because this, this series is over. I have a hard time believing that he's ever going to be 100% in this series because you don't just recover from a knee injury in a matter of days. Like, that's just not going to happen. So I don't understand the people arguing that Blake Griffin, oh, he's healthy enough. Well, if he's just kind of healthy – why bother bringing him back in a series where you're most likely going to get swept anyway? It just doesn't make any sense to me. If you sat him for the first two games, I would imagine that Dwayne Casey was trying to figure out if the series was going to be competitive or not. It's not. Not so, at all. Not at all. So I don't think that you bother bringing him back at this point. This leads me into another thing about the Pistons that I really would like to talk about. I'm sick and tired of Andre Drummond. I am so done <laughs> with Andre Drummond, it's not even funny. The things that I see from him are the most blatant signs of immaturity that I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if you saw the tweet that he sent out to a local Fox Fox sports reporter um, down in Detroit. He basically said that um, she asked him a question. He said that um, he got the – this was about the ejection in game one. She asked him about the ejection in game one. He said that, well, at least I got to shower first or something like that, something to that effect, basically something that was completely immature and not – not at all caring about the series or winning the game. So he said that. She then pretty much tweets out his direct quote. He comes back at that, tweets back and says, keep that same energy, you don't know what you're talking about, something to that effect, basically ripping into her for doing her job. That's blatant immaturity. Him waving at Giannis Antetokounmpo when, that he was, was funny. when he was shooting threes, even though Giannis had already had 20 points or God knows what and has been the best player on the floor at any given moment during the series. That's blatant immaturity. I've just seen multiple things out of him that I'm just sick and tired of him, and I'm really sick and tired of him being the face of the Pistons franchise because I don't think they can win like that. Do you really? Do you think the move is to get rid of him? I don't know if the move is to get rid of him or what the deal is, but he needs to take a good long look in the mirror and realize that what he's doing right now is not working because he is so immature, and we've seen it in the past. We've seen him get into feuds with Joel Embiid, a player who is pretty obviously better than him. Uh, he's getting into feuds with Giannis Antetokounmpo in this series. Just things like that where I think he thinks he's better than he is and he's doing all of these all these weird things that just keep getting him into trouble with superstars. And for the love of God, learn how to shoot free throws. Maybe take some hypnosis lessons from DeAndre Jordan or something. Just learn how to do it. He has improved. I will give him that. Not he, enough. I'll he's tell improved. You what. He's up near 60% now, I believe, yeah. which is higher than his career average. I want more. Yes, I understand you want more. If we really want more, we should ask him to shoot jumpers as well, but that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, learn the three. It's the new aspect of the of the five. In the yeah, game. we understand that. We saw how Blake Griffin did it. We hope that Andre Drummond can do it, but he's, I mean, he's into his mid-20s already. He needs to start. It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, so we'll see how that goes. And with the Pistons failing epically in the first round thus far, 
and especially since there's been a lot of lower seeds to succeed in this playoffs thus far, I'm really disappointed because I thought the Pistons could kind of hop on that bandwagon and, and be a part of the lower seeds kind of making some noise early in the playoffs. That includes the Clippers, um, a multitude of other teams that I can't think of right now because I'm completely blanking. Nets. The Nets, of the, course. The Magic. The Magic. Both teams that the Pistons were fighting for playoff spots with and are apparently much better than the Pistons. Do you see any lower seeds moving on to the next round? And if so, why do you see them doing that? I don't. I was actually surprised that the Nets and the Magic both won their games. But I will say that the Magic's matchup with the Raptors kind of surprises me. I think that if any other team other than the Magic, including the Pistons, played the Raptors, it would be a much more competitive series. I'm I'm baffled as to how Orlando even secured the seven seed because at least with the Pistons, you have some, you know, superstars. Some, you have some well-known names. Yeah, you got Blake Griffin, you've got Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson is even in that mix. With the Magic, they have Aaron Gordon, and literally I can't name a single other person on that team. I was going to say, let's play a game. Can you name three Magics? Mo Bamba, there you go. Sicko mode, there you go. Th- that's two. Name another one. I couldn't. I can name oh, oh, oh. DJ Augustin. I was about to say DJ Augustin. I can name Aaron Gordon. I can name Mo Bamba. Yes. Like, I can name, is Vucevic on that team? Is he? he I think he's I on there. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. I, I don't know. Point being... The fact that that team was able to steal a game from Toronto in Toronto is indicative to me that the Raptors really are not that good of a team. And if the Pistons had gotten that matchup, especially since Dwayne Casey was the former Raptors coach. Wade Jones. Yes, Wade Jones. He knows that organization. He knows everything about it. They could have stolen at least two games from the Raptors. Maybe I would have got to see my game six at LCA. Yes, you probably would have. I'm not at all surprised that the Nets I, that the Nets have been making some noise. I think per, I thought personally at the beginning of the season they were going to be a good team. Did you really? Because though? D'Angelo Russell no, you and did not. Karis LeVert, yes. Oh, I said earlier in the season that they were just going to be the best team in the entire league. Yeah. No, I certainly did not. But I certainly thought that when I saw them enter the playoffs, I thought they could make some noise. And they have to some effect. I don't think they'll move on, but personally it's just interesting and it's refreshing for me to see these lower seeds doing a little bit of damage in the early rounds and at least making some of these high-level teams sweat a little bit. That Brooks, that Brooklyn Nets team, that's a very good team moving and forward. And that will be for years yes. to come. Yeah, exactly. Joe Harris, Karis LeVert, D'Angelo Russell, they have a solid core group there. And yeah, they, they can definitely do some damage in the future, especially if they get some good draft picks. Joe Harris, the greatest shooter of all time. Beat out Steph Curry in his hometown. In his hometown, home floor advantage. That's how you know Joe Harris is truly superior. Yes. Segment one's done. We have three segments left in this entire season. Isn't that terrible? And you're going to see one of those three right now. back you already know what it is this is the trial run podcast and now that we're getting down to the end of the semester and the end of our recording season we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and we can see that there is one more major sporting event before we are out of here and that is the nfl draft next thursday 
Roger Goodell. Yeah, we're gonna see. We're gonna hear some great ESPN, the ticker, the ticker sound, all the great sounds that we hear on draft day, and on draft weekend throughout the entirety of the draft. And we have for you, for your listening pleasure, our top five picks and who the Lions will take in the first round right here. So I'll start with you. For the first round, first three picks are pretty boring. I'm going to go with Kyler Murray, Nick Bosa, and Josh Allen to the Cardinals, 49ers, and Jets. That's pretty much a wash for everyone, or not a wash, the opposite of a wash. I think everyone's got those. Yeah, you have everybody going with those three for sure, somewhere up in the top five. Yeah. And then it's usually just a mix of where they see those players going. And then at number four, I have Quinn and Williams going to the Raiders. And finally, to round out the top five, I have Ed Oliver going to the Bucks. Very good. So for me, I have much of the same thing, just kind of flipped around. I have Kyler Murray going to the Cardinals. I have Nick Bosa at number two going to the 49ers. I have Ed Oliver moving up a little bit, the Houston, the Houston guy going to the Jets. I have Quinn and Williams, the Alabama DT, going to the Raiders. And then I have Josh Allen out of Kentucky going to the Bucks. And most importantly, the only thing that I really care about this draft day is Montez Sweat going to the Lions at number eight, which is what, what I think ha- will happen and what I hope happens because they need defensive rush help. You might be finessed by eight, Montez Sweat. There's a chance, but you have to remember Rashawn Gary is at the same position as him and is, I mean, ranked ahead of him on most draft boards. So Montez Sweat had a great combine. We're going to see a lot out of him, and hopefully I see him at number eight because I want the Lions to take him. I could see the Lions taking Montez Sweat. I could also see him see them taking Rashawn Gary as if he pre-team. drops. Yeah, if he drops, and then a little bit out of left field. But since they need secondary help, I wouldn't even be upset if the Lions drafted Greedy Williams, who is arguably the best corner in this draft class. I can't see the Lions. I can't trust the Lions in good conscience to take another corner after the disaster that they had with Tease Tabor. He was terrible. He is actually atrocious. But he never like. He had all. He was one of those type of players that like NFL scouts like slobbered over, but never really saw that success translate in college. It was just like, oh, he has the intangibles. But did he so, really? Because he was so slow. He's so slow. Yeah, he's terrible. It's just it, that that was one of those picks that the scouts for some That's reason That's a straight whiff. They were in love with. I don't understand why. He really wasn't that good in college. I think Jake Rudock torched him when. When Michigan played Florida. you got to remember that Jake Rudock is just a premier quarterback. He really is. He's unbelievable. The, the arm talent on that guy. Yeah, and like you said, Greedy Williams is a guy that I don't even want to make the comparison to Tease Tabor because the bust that he's been, I don't want to I don't want to cast that label on a guy like Greedy Williams, but preferably I would say that the Lions should stay out of that realm and avoid taking a corner just for that reason. What position groups do you think the Lions do need in the draft overall? I think they need offensive line help. Stafford got pummeled last year. I think they do need help on the defensive front as well. Really just working both of the the, tren- the trenches. I, I know you love so much. The trenches. They need to get the trenches kind of figured out. I think they have a premier corner already in Darius Slay. They have a few guys around him that can play. I, I think Glover Quinn is obviously gone this year, so they're going to have to work to fill that void as well. But I think overall right now they have the running back of their future with Kerryon Johnson. They have, they have defensive um, perimeter players like Darius Slay. They have Kenny Galladay, who's hopefully their wide receiver of the future. So I believe just working on getting the front five on the offensive line figured out and then getting, getting guys on the other side, of, on the defensive side of the ball, getting some help over there as well. I wouldn't even be surprised if in the second round that if the Lions took 
a weapon to to give Matthew Stafford a little bit more help in this offense. We've all heard about TJ Hotkinson coming out of Iowa, that tight end. He's really good. I think he's going to go in the first round, but not as mentioned, but still just as dangerous. Arguably more successful in college is his teammate Noah Fant out of Iowa. I know, and he had an unbelievable combine as well. Yeah, we buttered him up a couple weeks ago. And really, if the Lions see him at in the second round, I would hate him. I'd hate the Lions if they took him in the first round. But second round, that's not a terrible pick. I know we just got Jesse James, a tight end, but... It's either really the tight end of the future, though. Noah Fant or Jesse James? Jesse James. Yeah, that's the question. So Noah Fant could be. I think think he's arguably better than TJ Hawkinson, really. I don't think Noah Fant is as premier of a blocker as Hawkinson, which is part of the reason. And we've seen... We saw Eric Ebron be the the guy that wouldn't block on the end That's also. True. So I'm very wary of seeing that again. I like a tight end that can do both. Get you a tight end that can do both. So something like that. I, I'm very wary of them take, taking a tight end at all just because of past experiences with guys like Eric Ebron, who is now an all-pro and a pro bowler with the Colts but was atrocious with the Lions. So personally, I don't know what I – I think the tight end position is something that they need to fill in the later rounds as well. But I think you need to figure out the defensive front and the offensive front primarily in the first round. I also wonder if come round three, if Trace McSorley is still available, do the Lions get the quarterback of the future right there? Was that a segue into your draft sleeper? No, that's not. Actually, that, that would be a good draft sleeper, but I'm not going to. I think Trace McSorley is kind of a fool. I heard an interview with him the other day, and he sounds like an absolute idiot. Low so, football IQ? Not not the, the sharpest knife in the drawer, so that's not my sleeper. But I wonder if the Lions would go with that if they if he was still available in the third round because there has been talk of the Lions even picking Dwayne Haskins with their first pick in the, or their, their number eight pick with the first round. So Really? I would be very upset with that. But I would not be at all. But I, I, I do understand that they want to go the Patriot way, which is, of course, getting underpaid quarterbacks. Tom Brady is a little bit underpaid for the success that he's had and then filling in the position groups around him. So I understand if they'd want to try to get a guy on a rookie deal like Dwayne Haskins. But I, overall, I think there's a lot of other gaps they need to fill before they worry about the quarterback they position. Do. They really just have to focus, as we said, on the lines. I'd love to see some in sec- some secondary improvement and then um, a, maybe a linebacker. And, yeah, just weapons around Matthew Stafford. Very good. Very good. Draft sleeper. Let me hear yours right now. I have two guys that I want to list off. First is Ben Burkirvin, if I pronounced that correctly. He, I remember watching him. You sound really confident right there. No, see, that's the thing. He has a crazy name, but I remember him distinctly. He's from Washington. To me personally, he's right behind Devin White and Devin Bush as the best linebacker in this class, if you count Josh Allen as a linebacker. He's really good. He's he's one of the leading tacklers in all of college football history. He really displays to me intangibles, and he's not talked about at all. And then my second guy, you know I had to do it to him, David Long. David Long out of Michigan, he's a cornerback. To me, he is the best corner in this class. Oh, he lacks athleticism up and down the page. He leads the he leads college football in every single major statistical category when it comes to being a cornerback, miss me with the he's not athletic part. I'd rather take someone with gumption and hustle oh, over God. over athleticism every day of the week. David Long will be the best corner to come out of this class, mark my words. I bet T. Saber has all the gumption. He's I terrible. Bet he, I bet he really gets after he it. He doesn't even have the intangibles. 
Neither does David Long. Yes, he does. What, what does he have? Gumption and grit. That is not... It, I'm looking for... If you want to t- hit me with the intangibles BS, tell me about his... How fast he is, how quick a hands he has. He's not, he has, he's not like bad in those. It's just that he's not at the top in those. It, it, but you know what he is in the top in? Every statistical category. That Michigan bias is really kicking into this present moment. He's going to be the sleeper of this class. So my two sleepers, they're both guys that we're probably not going to see taken until the, either the end of the first round or early second round. I've got Hakeem Butler, the wide receiver out of Iowa State. He's worked out with Kelvin Johnson in this very in good. preparation with the draft class. I watched a little bit of him during Big 12 play this season. He is a grown man. He's unbelievable, very strong hands, dynamic athlete. If you were looking for a comparison, he would be a Kelvin Johnson-esque type. He has that size and athleticism. And I think, I don't want to say he's better than DK Metcalf, but I think I would put him in that that in that realm anyways and kind of attach their names a little bit. And then the other sleeper that I'd have, not really a sleeper, but a guy that is not projected to go until the end of the first round, Dexter Lawrence, the defensive tackle out of Clemson. He was part of that that very successful defensive line at Clemson, the disruptive group that kind of made Alabama lose their wits in the national championship game and took over that game. So Dexter Lawrence, Hakeem Butler, my two main guys that I'm looking at to succeed after, after this NFL draft. Now that you mentioned an Iowa State guy, I just thought of another guy off the top of my head who's definitely a sleeper, and that's David Montgomery, the running the back. The running back, yes, absolutely. He is very good and not talked about at all. I watched him in several games this year because – all Nate and I did on Saturdays in the fall was just watch football for hours. So we saw a lot of different talent. And David Montgomery is very impressive. I think he's going to be, have a good career in the NFL. I believe so also. He's kind of the David Long of running backs, if you will, because not yes. many people talk about him. He is. Has all the intangibles, was a very successful collegiate running back, and all of a sudden is kind of getting pushed to the wayside by a lot of these NFL scouts and NFL draft analysis people. So you've heard it here first, really. Those are the best players in the draft, so... Speaking of very good players, and very good players that are very dumb, <laughs> Rob Gronkowski. Nice segue. That's a very good segue, and I would like to point out that this is just something that I really wanted to touch on briefly, but I think it had to be said. Rob Gronkowski, folks, has dented the Lombardi Trophy. <laughs> that's that's fresh news. That's just come out a couple days ago. That's just something, to, a little funny comedy in the middle of our show. Rob Gronkowski, I repeat, has dented the Lombardi Trophy. And how did he do it? He did it by swinging, <laughs> swinging as a bat in a baseball game. He hit it with a baseball. So that that really embodies the legacy of Rob Gronkowski. Couldn't couldn't expect anything better from him. Absolutely. We're sticking in the NFL. The NFL schedules have been released this past week. Big news. Huge news. Because we get to find out which of the sixteen games the lines are going to blow this season. So. <laughs> What are your major implications that you see from the schedule this year? What are your major matchup, the matchups that you'll look to see or look to watch in this regular season? What do you like and dislike about the Lions' schedule? I know there's a lot to digest there, but go off then. There's a couple of really good games week one. I'm looking forward to Bears-Packers. That's going to be an awesome game. I think that's going to be the first game of the season, which is unusual. Usually they have the Super Bowl champion as the first game, but because this is the 100-year anniversary of that game, they're going to be playing that game. Or maybe it's 150-year anniversary, whatever it is. They're going to be playing that game as the first game of the season, and that's, you know, we're going to see how Aaron Rodgers bounces back and the whole Packers team, and then the rising star and Mitchell Trubisky, so that'll be fun to watch. And then you've got games like the, the Chargers versus the Colts, two rising teams. You've got um, 
you've got you've got Detroit versus Arizona, which is not a high profile game, but I know that we'll care about that game for for sure. And then Texans versus the Saints. We're gonna see how if the Saints come out blazing after that unfortunate end to their season. So we'll see if they come out with a passion this year. They may be the odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl. To be honest, I couldn't really care less about anybody's schedule besides the Lions. So looking at the Lions. I'm paying attention to weeks two through five because they have a stretch in their schedule that is absolutely ridiculous. Following that Cardinals game, which I should sure hope that they would win because they might start the season one and three looking at the schedule that I'm seeing right now because they they go and play. They get to play Los Angeles at home week two. The Chargers are a very good team. They go to Philadelphia in week three, and then they play Kansas City at home before their bye week in week five. So a much needed bye. A much needed bye after those three games. So I'm saying right now, if the Lions can escape those games 2-2, two and two, I will be more than happy going into the rest of the season because after that, they look at Green Bay at Lambeau Field, which I think there's a chance that they could win that because Green Bay is kind of reeling after firing Mike McCarthy. And then not necessarily – they lost Randall Cobb also, a lot of their, their high-profile players, so we'll see how they respond from that. They then play Minnesota, which – They need to split with Minnesota at the very least, I would say. I would like for them to sweep the Packers, split with the Vikings, and split with the Bears, if at all possible. They play the Giants, Raiders, two winnable games. They play the Bears, like I said, they need to split once, or they would need to win at least one and split. Dallas, which would be a tough game. Washington, which I think they should win. Um, So all the way down, they play the Bucs, the Broncos, Week 15-16. So they have games that are absolutely winnable. But I have a very simple algorithm for how many games I think the Lions are going to win. I look at their schedule. I say I'm going to pick out however many games I actually think they should win, and then I'm going to subtract two because, in general, they blow at least two or three games based on just pure nonsense and thing, and losing games the way that should, no man should ever lose a game. So I'll say that right now, that I think whatever, however many games I think the Lions should win, take two away from that, and that's probably right around where they'll get. I'm telling you right now, in those weeks eight and nine, they are going to lose one of those two games to the Giants or the Raiders. I can tell you that right now. They're going to. I would tend to agree with you, yeah. I know they will, and they should beat both of those teams handily, but they won't. If I was going to give a rundown, I would say week one, win against the Cardinals. Week two, loss against the Chargers. Week three, win against Philadelphia. So that's two and one right there. Loss against Kansas City, two and two. Win against Green Bay win against the Vikings at home, win against the Giants, win against the Raiders, I guess, loss against the Bears, loss against the Cowboys, win against the Redskins, win against the Bears at home, loss to the Vikings, beat the Bucks, beat the Broncos, and beat the Packers. So what is that? What is that? Like, God only knows. Was that like 11 and 5? I would. That's probably 10 and 6, but like I said, take away... So 8 and 8. <laughs> yeah, take away two games, and you're going to... Or even if they're 11 and 5, take away two games, and they're still going to be... Seven, yeah. They're going to be 9 and 7 fighting for a wild card spot, so I don't know... Like I said, they're so unpredictable. This is so hard to predict. So I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Those are my predictions, but you'll see as the season progresses that those are absolutely going to be wrong. <laughs> Another big NFL story that kind of happened this week, we saw the Russell Wilson contract, everything that happened with Seattle. He was threatening a holdout, threatening not to come to offseason camp. Does he deserve this much money? Because we've seen a lot of NFL quarterbacks get overpaid. I do think that Russell Wilson is right at the top tier of NFL quarterbacks. So I personally think that he deserves every penny that he got in this new deal with the Seattle Seahawks. What do you think in regards to this? Well, the fact of the matter is he isn't the best quarterback in the NFL, but simply because this was the only way that they were going to get Russell Wilson to come, it is worth it for the Seahawks. 
if you're basing it off of merit and you think that the best quarterback should be getting the most money. That's not at all how it works. I, that's, I'm, I know, but I'm saying if that's what you think, then Russell Wilson doesn't deserve it. But in terms of what the Seahawks wanted, how they were going to be able to keep Russell Wilson, this deal is worth it for them. And I think he deserves it. Does this mean he's staying in Seattle the rest of his career? I would have to think so. I don't know. I didn't see how many years the contract was for. But, you know, they went through this rough patch right here. He was thinking about even going to the Giants potentially before signing this contract. But now that he signed it, it seems like Seattle's going to be his home. I don't see him going anywhere else. And really, he has an interesting dynamic. He doesn't fit into your prototypical pro-style offense. You have to mold your pieces around him. So I think that, especially as he gets older, not many teams would necessarily want to pick up on that. And he might stay in Seattle for the rest of his career. I think that the Giants talk was some pure nonsense. It probably was. I don't think there was any way, and I don't think it's, it was really even his call because he's still under. he was still under contract with the Seahawks. He was just threatening a holdout because he didn't think he was making enough money. So I don't think, I think that was pure speculation. I do think he'll stay in Seattle the rest of his career, or at least for the rest of his prime, that is. So I don't think he's going to go anywhere, and I personally think that he is one of the best quarterbacks, so I think he deserved that deal. Absolutely, based just based on the quarterback market currently, with guys like Kirk Cousins getting paid the money that they are. Speaking of the Giants, just real quick, do you think that everyone, everyone in their mama is saying, "All right, get a quarterback, either Drew Locke or Dwayne Haskins"? Is that fair to Eli Manning? Like, are we done with him completely? Is it over? I've kind of been done with him for years because I don't think he's. I, I personally don't think that he is a functional NFL quarterback. He's anymore the Patriots slayer at this junction in his career. He's the only. He quarterback. hasn't been the Patriots slayer in a, a decade. Yeah, no, I, I in my lifetime I've seen two Super Bowls. I know. I, I'm I mean, aware. In, like, in my sports that, lifetime, that's, that's so. a straight, it's, it's an exaggeration, but he has not been relevant in a hot minute. So I have a hard time believing that he's still a relevant NFL quarterback. Yeah, well, for me, is he a Hall of Famer though? There's a I don't is he? Ooh, no, no, he's not. We, How are we, you gonna go off and tell me about him being the Patriots Slayer and then not tell me he's a Hall of Famer? Because that's his only defining legacy: the, the fact that he has two rings and that he beat the Patriots. But I will say this: there's a lot more quarterbacks in next year's draft class than there is this year. A lot better quarterbacks, in my opinion. I would give Eli Manning one more year, one last chance and then draft a quarterback next year. I would not want to waste these young years of Saquon Barkley, though. I'm just saying there are a lot of other pieces that the the Giants need. They just lost o- OBJ. Yeah, that's, fair. that's they, fair. They've got a lot of other spaces. They have a lot of things. They're they have a, a lot of problems wreck. on that team besides Eli Manning, so I understand what you're saying. He's, he's more or less a place filler at this yes. current moment. Just hold out, hold out for one of the better quarterbacks in next year's class and cut your losses, You're especially – in worst case scenario, Eli Manning sucks, and then you get a high draft pick and you pick a good quarterback again next You year. pick a guy like Trevor Lawrence or Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what teams do they lead? What Tua, Tua plays for Alabama, Trevor plays for Clemson. And I believe that they were two, the two highest odds-on pick in the ESPN college football playoff odds, wow. which were recently announced. Expert segue there once again. College football. College football. And I know that you were very disappointed as to where your Michigan Wolverines came in, not because they were put too low, but because they were put too high, and the expectations are sky high once again for a Jim Harbaugh Michigan team. Michigan, in the recent odds by ESPN, is the third most likely team to make the college football playoff. Please, ESPN, stop hyping Michigan up every single year. It kills me. 
every single year. They're hyped up. They're, oh, they're the, the next coming of Christ, basically. And Jim Harbaugh is going to save this program. And every year, because of these lofty expectations, even their good seasons, their 10-3 and three seasons, are thrown to the wayside as absolute garbage dumps because they don't live up to such lofty expectations. Just for comparison, Ohio State didn't even crack this ESPN top 10 list. That's absurd to me. That is criminal. I know that Urban Meyer's gone, and I know that there's question marks surrounding Justin Fields, especially now that their backup quarterback just transferred, but they're a good program. Rank them higher than Michigan until Michigan beats them. Are they going to beat the brakes off Michigan again this year? No. They might win, but they're not going to beat the brakes off Michigan. They won't. Especially when Michigan's at home and just all the nuances surrounding this new head coach, they won't. I think at this point, I wouldn't even be surprised. In any fashion that Ohio State beats Michigan, I would not be surprised at all because it seems like every single year Michigan finds a way to lose in that game, which I think is very funny. They really, one of these years, see, this is the thing. Everyone is talking about how Michigan sucks. I see it everywhere. They're like, oh, they're terrible. And it's because of these lofty expectations. But really, if you look at it, Jim Harbaugh has like a over 70% winning percentage at Michigan. If you really break down what he's done, especially with the teams that he had coming in, because Brady Hoke did not do him any favors. He brought in really good recruits, but he had terribly coached teams. Jim Harbaugh immediately came in and took those teams to 10 wins consistently, which is good seasons. The only problem is they can't beat Ohio State. That's really the only problem. They can beat Michigan State now. They're, they're at least competitive with Notre Dame. We're going to see them again next this coming year. It just comes down to that Ohio State hump and the fact that they haven't gone to a Big Ten championship. And the reason they haven't gone to a Big Ten championship is because of the stupid divisions within the Big Ten. If you eliminated divisions, Michigan would have gone last year, which pisses me off. Man, I didn't realize that get your blood pressure so spiked on this subject. That this this is terrible. This is unbelievable. You're red faced and sweating. Terrible. No. So many would say that because of the ESPN playoff football odds, that it would be no surprise to anybody if Michigan did make it to the the college football playoff. But what team do you think does have the best chance to surprise us this year and catch us off guard with one of these magical playoff runs? that we haven't really seen, to be honest, because we have not seen any big Cinderella story in this college football playoff ever. I think Ohio State would be a surprise just because, you know, new head coach, like I said, and new quarterback coming in. So that's definitely a a would-be surprise. Another team is actually Washington out of the Pac-12 simply because they're not the best team, but since they have such an easy conference, they could work their way into a, a college football playoff spot if they were able to win the majority of their games when, you know, maybe if they if they went undefeated in conference play and then lost one game in the non-conference, it's definitely possible. And then a team who certainly has the ability to, but their schedule doesn't do them any favors, is Auburn. Auburn's a sneaky good team this year. It's just the fact that they have to play in that tough SEC conference. So that one's less likely to me. I'm going to say Texas. I'm going to say the Texas Longhorns. If they can get past Oklahoma once again this year, and then if they can if they can do everything that they should do, because I don't know if there's a single team in the Big 12 besides Oklahoma that I would say is better than Texas. So I think if we get to the end of the season, all of a sudden they only have one loss and they go to that Big 12 championship game, then you're 
you're kind of looking at them hanging right around that playoff bubble. They probably would at that point. At yeah. that point, if they're only a one-loss team going into the Big 12 championship game, they would be right on the bubble. You so can't keep them out. I, it, I don't think you can keep them out. So I w- I'm going to say Texas. I think that they're right there right now. We saw how they played against Oklahoma last year in the regular season, eventually lost in the Big 12 championship, obviously. But we are they're right there, and I think they're just about to break that seal and break the class seal. seal. Break the seal. <laughs> Very good. One episode left. We're done for today. We'll see you next week. This is the Trial Run Podcast.